0: Again, good morning, and uh, welcome to the Olathe campus of Christ Community Church. I'm so glad that you have chosen to come and celebrate here with us. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor. It's good to be together, and, and thank you especially for coming at 1145. Uh, this is the first time we've done this on Easter with the four services, and uh, I'm glad you're here. We didn't know if it was going to be kind of lonely. We might hear some stomachs grumbling um, at some point, maybe even mine, uh, but thanks, thanks for being here. Um, that, that's provided for us to have a, a really great morning in, in our other services space uh, for many to come and to worship here together, so thanks, thanks for that. Uh, and Easter, I mean, Easter is our day, right? Uh, it's the day in which all other days point to that, that for those of us who are Christians, Everything rises or falls based on what we believed happened in that empty tomb so long ago. That Jesus walked out alive and that for all of us there is hope and joy. And so let me, let me pray for us uh, as we enter in uh, to our story today. Lord Jesus, God who defeated the grave, conquering death and sin and fear, we come to you now. Help us believe these stories aren't easy to believe. Help us to trust this world is so broken. And help us to change, for we too are broken. God, for all of us, whether all of us here this morning, whether we confidently trust in you or are deeply skeptical, God, or somewhere in between. Would you speak to us? Show us your love and make us whole again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, if you want to go ahead and get out your, your iPhone, just in case it gets boring, um, you can go ahead and do that now, save time later. Um, Steve Jobs changed the world, didn't he? Right? I mean, he, he, changed, he changed the way we think. Even if you own zero Apple products, okay, you have been shaped by Steve Jobs, whether you like it or not, right? Right? Now, it's also fairly well known that Steve Jobs was kind of a terrible human, right? I mean, in in most of his relationships, the people that that worked closest with him, I mean, his his incredible genius was so obviously accompanied by extreme arrogance, borderline narcissism, and just frankly being downright mean a lot of the time. In fact, in in the most recent film about his life, there's already been a handful, I mean, crazy, even even that, thinking about. But the most recent one um, is actually this this scene towards towards the end. It's kind of the climactic moment of the the whole film, and he is arguing with his daughter, a daughter whose uh, relationship he denied for years, uh, denied that she could possibly be his daughter. And she's asking him why. Like, why have you been such a lousy dad? Why are you such a lousy person? And his response? Let's watch. Honey, uh... You know, my mother might be a troubled woman, but what's your excuse? That's why I'm not impressed with your story, Dad. It's that you knew what I was going through and you didn't do anything about it. And that makes you an unconscionable coward. And not for nothing but think is a verb, all right? Making different an adverb. You're asking people to think differently and you and you can talk about the Bauhaus movement and Braun in simplicity and sophistication and Izzy Miyake uniforms and, and Bob Dylan lyrics all you want, but that thing looks like Judy Jetson's easy big oven. You say you are my father?: I'm poorly made. I'm poorly made. Which first off, I mean, the writing there is just brilliant, right? Given jobs, ridiculous obsession that everything be perfectly made. I mean, there have been all kinds of articles written about this line from the film, right? And, and frankly, about whether or not Jobs ever even had the, the self-awareness or the humility to even consider such a possibility. And yet there, there in the film, I mean, it's so profound, isn't it? He says, me, right? Like a, like a clunky, virus-ridden PC, I'm poorly made. Now, I I'd probably phrase it a little bit differently because I think God made us perfectly, but we've rebelled against him. And as a result, we're deeply, fundamentally broken. And, and yet what he, what he says, I mean, the sentiment still stands, right? There's, there's something wrong with us. And we know it. You don't have to be a Christian to recognize it. You don't even really have to be like a, a church person to see it you already know it. I mean, the, the way I hurt the people I love the most, or, or ignore people who are, who are in need. I mean, how I act selfishly, like almost all, like way more than I'd ever care to admit, right? I, I, I can't even live up to my own standards. And, and yet we, we, somehow, we somehow think that um, if I can just get this one thing in my life fixed, this one problem or issue, if I could just get that taken care of, then I'd, I'd be okay, right? And so maybe you think, if my marriage could just be better, my, my finances or my work or, or kids, maybe, maybe they, once I get to, to middle school or high school or once I get to college, you know, if I just get that one thing in my life, that one problem fixed, then I'll be okay. Maybe that's, maybe that's even why you're here this morning. But Listen. Jesus always has something more in mind. Jesus always has something more in mind. He doesn't want to just fix your finances or your health or your, your kids. And, and maybe, maybe he will do, the, do those things. I, I, hope, I hope in your life that, that he does. But what he really wants is to fix you, me. And we see that in our story this morning. As a church, we've been studying together the gospel of Matthew um, since Christmas. And Matthew, Matthew was one of the sort of original guys with Jesus, one of his closest friends, an eyewitness to, to most of the things that he records. And he wrote these things down for us shortly after they happened to show the world who Jesus claimed to be and what he and the disciples believed were, were, true, were true about him. This morning, we're in, we're in Matthew chapter 9, uh, which in all confession is not the resurrection. Um, sorry to disappoint. I'll try to work in the Easter bunny at some point, right? So we get it, get it covered. Um, but it's not, it's not a resurrection story in, in that sense. In, in fact, I mean, it'd feel, like, it'd feel like skipping to the end of a good novel, right? Reading the last page if we were to go there. And yet, don't be nervous. This is a resurrection story. And in, in fact, I would say that this story is our resurrection resurrection story and so as we retell this story this morning we're going to focus in on on three things in particular the problem is worse than you think uh, the solution uh, seems way way too good to be true and the resurrection it accomplishes both the problem the solution and the resurrection all right so let's let's get started with the problem the problem is worse than you think which i know is a really cheery thought here on Easter Sunday. But whatever problem you, you have or think you have, and we come with all kinds, don't we? I mean, all of us, right? With all kinds of things in our minds, stuff that we're struggling with or, or doubting or afraid of and, and all of those, but whatever it is, right? That, that list of things that you wish Jesus would just go ahead and like, you know, magic genie it away, right? Whatever those problems are, they're worse than you think they are. I mean, look at, look at this story. If you want to follow along, it's in Matthew chapter 9. We'll put some of the scripture up here as well. But this, this story, I mean, it's almost comical. Frankly, it's, it's almost a tiny bit insulting, right? And so in, in Matthew chapter 9, these guys come to Jesus, and they come to him bringing their friend, actually carrying their friend. He's, he's paralyzed. but they want to see what Jesus does, right? They want to see if it can, if it can help, right? And I mean, even just imagine, right, what this, what's that what's like for this guy in that culture, of that century? I mean, at that point, right, historically, he's, he's considered by most to be worthless, just a drain. I mean, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to be paralyzed in this century, but go back 2,000 years. What kind, what kind of difficult life would that be? This guy has problems. And Mark and Luke... Two of the other gospel writers, they give us a whole lot more details about this story. And in fact, it's kind of interesting the details that, that they give as they're writing, I mean, they they give a lot of backstory, right? And so these guys, they, they try to bring their, their paralyzed friend to Jesus, but they can't get anywhere near him at this point. I mean, they're trying to carry this mad and all that. And Jesus, at this point, this is still early on in the, in the, in the story, he's at the top of his game. I mean, people, people want them some Jesus, right? He's got these massive crowds around him. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to see if he does something impressive. And so they can't get to him. And so they tell us that they, they went up to the roof, right? Maybe some of you heard this story. They go up to the roof, make a hole in the roof. Jesus is in this home. Uh, preaching a sermon, which I can only assume was a better sermon than this one, and, and they lower him right there in the middle, right? I mean, all this is going on, right? It, it, it's hap- that that's how bad they want new legs for their friend. I mean, even just, like, imagine, right? Sitting here now this morning, right? All of a sudden, we hear noises, right? A saw, a drill, a hammer, uh, drywall dust, insulation begins falling in my hair. It's a little bit distracting, Right? Matthew leaves all of that out because he skips right to the most shocking part of the story. More shocking than the whole roof thing, right? The most shocking part is what Jesus says. Look at, look at this, this story. So Jesus, I mean, he takes, he takes one good look at the paralytic, now, now lying on the ground before him. And in what must have felt like the disappointment of a lifetime. Jesus looks at him and says, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Which just like confuses everybody, right? I mean, think about this guy. He's lying. He's like, uh, uh, thanks, Jesus? I, I, I guess. I mean, if I wanted forgiveness, I would have gone to the temple. I mean, there are systems in place for forgiveness. You see me lying here, Jesus. Legs. Jesus. What about my legs? But the problem's bigger than he thinks. It's worse than not being able to walk. And Jesus knows that our our biggest problem, it's not our problems, plural. And I'm not making light of of any of those. Again, I know we come with with heavy burdens. Many of us do. Jesus wouldn't make light of those. But my biggest problem, it's not my health or my marriage or the bully at school or my finances. As as important as those things are, my biggest problem is in here. I'm poorly made. Or or more, more accurately, perfectly made, but tragically broken. That even if... Even if if Jesus were to simply fix all those other things in our lives. Like he were to do that for me, like some cosmic vending machine in the sky, right? Uh, Dispensing everything my heart desires. Even, even if he did, I'd still be left with me. Have you met me? I mean, I'm a real peach sometimes. Right? And and the disease that, that lives in here, none of that would change. It still is here. Our biggest problem, my biggest problem is that I willingly choose self-destruction on a regular basis over wholeness. That's what what sin is. That That I hurt people around me or ignore their needs, that I I declare war on the God who created me. And sin inevitably leads to death. And so think think about this guy lying there. What if what if Jesus had done exactly what he asked of him? And only that. So, he, I mean, fixed his legs. Got up. I mean, the, the rest of his life would be different. It'd be incredible. It's exactly what the guy came for, it's exactly what they were wanting. And it would be great, right? For a few years, maybe even a few decades. But what about on his last day? How then will he be able to stand? Reminds me of a, of a song. Um, it's another Twenty One Pilots song. Um, some of you still haven't forgiven me for showing that last uh, little clip. Um, it's a great band. Uh, let, let me, it's one of the maybe a little weirder. Well, I'll just show it. Let's. Death inspires me like a dog inspires a rabbit. I told you I'd work in the Easter Bunny, so you're welcome. <laughs> I mean, that is a vivid metaphor, isn't it? I mean, it's awesome. The first time we listened to it as a family, my, my kids are like, Dad, what does that mean? And then they're like trying to work it out. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like rabbits run in terror, chased, and they, they don't often win, Right? So this, this band, right, in this moment of just good writing, right, in, in, in light of their own mortality and their fear surrounding death, the inevitable question they ask is, well, who will save my heavy, dirty soul? And Jesus, with all the audacity that only Jesus can get away with, I mean, Jesus, he just says stuff, doesn't he? Who will save my heavy, dirty soul? Jesus like, well, I'll do that. Me. I will, which means this, the solution, right? It just seems way too good to be true, doesn't it? It seems way, way too far-fetched. Um, the man came for his legs, but Jesus always has something more in mind. And, and the people there, right? I mean, again, this is like happening in, in a real situation and like with people just sort of watching what's happening. And the religious in this moment are absolutely outraged by what's happening. And not because they think Jesus is being insensitive. I mean, just heal the guy's legs already. That's not what's going on. They are mad because they know, they know what Jesus is doing here. They know who he's claiming to be. That this, this is presumption. In their opinion, this is presumptuous blasphemy to the highest degree. Not even the priests in the Old Testament were able to forgive sins. Not even they had that right. And here now, this. This rabbi that nobody's hardly ever even heard of, this miracle worker, is going out forgiving sins. I mean, that, that is a job for God and God only, and they know it, and they hate him for it. They're absolutely outraged by what he's claiming here. And, and honestly, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, and I realize that's, that may be the case for some of you, if you don't believe that, these words of Jesus, they ought to outrage you too. They ought to make you mad. You cannot, you cannot just say Jesus was a good teacher. Good teachers don't talk like this. You don't say, I mean, even, even Steve Jobs, in all of his arrogance, never, you know, been at, like said he could forgive sins, right? At least I don't think he did. There might be an app. I don't know. He was, he was pretty self-absorbed. But, I mean, this, this is what gets Jesus crucified. It's talk like this that they're going to they're gonna kill him for it because they know what he's claiming here. And so Jesus, again, picture the, the setting, right? The guy's still like lying there, kind of wondering what's, what's happening. Um, the crowds are sort of listening in. The religious are angry and arguing. So Jesus kind of asks a, a trick question. He says, for which, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? I mean, think about it. That's a good question, right? I mean, to actually be able to forgive sins, that's harder. Right? Only God can do that. But nobody can, can verify it, right? I mean, anybody can just say it. I can just say, you know, Bob, your sins are forgiven right? If your name is Bob, you're welcome, right? Um, And and maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, but prove me wrong, right? You can't do it. But imagine, imagine if I went to someone in a wheelchair and I said, get up and walk, and I would either be a terrible human or an incredible miracle worker, and you would know which in about a second, wouldn't you? I mean, it's instantly verifiable. That's, that's what Jesus is doing here. And again, you know, meanwhile, the guy's like, so, uh, so those legs, right? Uh, don't, don't forget about me. And, and, and Jesus then, he, he says to the religious cynics, he says, just to prove that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Really? I mean, do we really, like, in the 21st? Do we really believe that that actually happened? Well, you know what? Even, even the most critical historians admit that Jesus was known in the first century as a as a healer. That he was known widely throughout the land as a miracle worker. And, and Matthew Matthew claims to have seen these things with his own eyes. Uh, in, in fact, Matthew's writing only about 40 years after these events happened. That'd be a little bit like us trying to make up something around 1976, right? Something that happened. I mean, you just couldn't do it. There's too many eyewitnesses, too many people who could, too could verify, yes, that happened or no, no, that didn't happen. In fact, a lot of the New Testament was written just 15, 20 years after Jesus. I mean, that'd be like us trying to make up something around 9-11. Like, you just couldn't, you couldn't do it, right? There's too many people still around to either verify or deny that these events actually happened. And then add to that that Matthew gives his life for these things. We see that in just the next few verses. In chapter 9 is where Matthew responds to Jesus. That after seeing all that he's seen, he goes with him. Matthew has, Matthew's got an easy, comfortable life. He's a tax collector. He's rich, right? You just sit back and enjoy it. But when Jesus says, follow me, he gets up and he leaves it all behind. Because he's seen this. And Matthew ends up dying, being being murdered for for preaching this, this message. He saw with his own eyes that here is someone who heals bodies. And here is someone who heals lives. Forgives sins. And besides. Don't you want it to be true? I know, right? Wanting something to be true doesn't make it true, right? I have this conversation with my kids all the time, right? We know that, and I don't expect it to convince you. And yet, just even just for a moment, just admit that you want this. Don't you long to live in a world where paralytics get their legs back? Where the sick are healed, where the dead are raised, where... Where terrorists are judged, and peace is restored, and forgiveness is attainable. I mean, of course, of course, you long for that. You know, as a as a pastor, I get invited into oftentimes into like the, both the, the very best things in people's lives as well as the very worst. And so, like you know, weddings and early on in, in marriages, as well as you know, somehow with with divorces as well, or in births as well as, as deaths, baptisms as well as backslidings, a little bit of all of it. And let me just tell you why, one of the reasons why I keep going back to Jesus. And again, I, I know this isn't going to convince you that Jesus came out of the grave. I'm not, I'm not trying to. I, I understand that. But one of the reasons I keep going back to him in, in light of all of my doubts and sins and whatever, it's because with him, at least it means something. He may, not, he may not fix it like I, like I want him to or, or when I want him to, but at least, at least with him, I know that it matters. Well, like joy and love actually mean something. They're not just figments of our imagination pulled out for us to be able to survive and endure a brutal life, That they count for something. That, that suffering matters, that, that death isn't the end. That forgiveness is within reach, that hope is, that hope can be realized, and I know it may sound way too good to be true. But what's the alternative? Only he can say to our world, get up and walk. Which is why I called this a a resurrection story early on. It's not just because it's Easter, I gotta like squeeze it in. Um, This this really is, right? It's, It's the resurrection that accomplishes both. is what makes this, this possible. The resurrection and only the resurrection gives us hope for our terrible problem, which is sin, the big, the big problem, but also hope even for our little problems, bad legs and everything else. But there's there's hope even there because Jesus, I mean, he was crucified, murdered, truly killed, dead and buried for three days. And yet the tomb was empty. And the early eyewitnesses said that they, they saw him. Alive, that Jesus appeared to them. That They, they talked to him, had, had dinner with him. That he, he compelled them to, to move forward with, with his message. And because he walked out of that tomb alive, Jesus can say, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, but I mean, why did Jesus have to die in order to... Like, why can't God just be like, I forgive you, right? And just be done with it already. I mean, didn't you ever wonder that? I do sometimes. But you know what? Nobody ever just forgives... Like nobody does. I mean, if you've, if you've ever been wrong, like really wrong, I don't mean like the little things that we just kind of brush under the rug. I'm talking about deeply hurt by another human. you know that forgiveness is a kind of death, isn't it? That it costs deeply. I mean, imagine if, if your best friend betrays you and, and shatters your reputation, forgiveness isn't free. Are you kidding? I mean, forgiveness—it costs you the, the, the opportunity to retaliate, right, and to get even. It, it costs you the chance to, to sit back in your own sort of self-righteous bitterness towards that person. And none of it—forgiveness doesn't fix your reputation. You still have that ugly blight, whatever it was. Forgiveness is expensive. I mean, if somebody—if somebody were to hurt someone you love, I mean, really hurt them—is anything more painful than forgiveness? it is a kind of death isn't it and for Jesus to come to to die to pay the ultimate price through his life death and resurrection for our rebellion to take our sins upon himself to be able to say longs to say to each one take heart my sons my daughters your your sins are forgiven but you know what? It's also because Jesus walks out of that tomb that the other problems, that there's hope there as well. It's not just the, the big problem. If, if Jesus physically walked out of that tomb, if, if death couldn't hold him and his body was able to withstand it and survive and come out unscathed, then, then maybe there's hope for us. Maybe, if we, like, if one person did it, then maybe, maybe we can follow that same path. Maybe we also will come out unscathed. That whatever whatever problems you're feeling this morning, if you trust him, if you've, if you've given your life to him, whatever, whatever it is you're afraid of, overwhelmed by, disappointed with, or ashamed of, some of us have a long list. Whatever it is, those things do not define you. If you're a follower of him, they, those things, they, none of them get the last word in your life. He will make it right. Only he can say to you, get up and walk. Okay, so maybe it's, maybe it's true, maybe it isn't. And I mean, and who wouldn't read a story like this and feel doubt, right? Of course. Of course we do. But if there's any possibility, we've got to do something about it, right? I mean, if there's any chance whatsoever that these things, that this story is true, we, we cannot just walk out of here untouched by it. We cannot just go out to our, to our normal lives, back to the way things were. If, this, if there's any possibility, well, let me offer just a couple of quick, quick next steps. Whether you're a Christian um, or not, uh, you know whether, whether you fully believe these things or you're just here because somebody told you you wouldn't get lunch if you didn't come. Um, three quick things to consider. First, Admit that you need it. And just start there. You may, not, you may not believe it. You may choose to ignore it. You may want to reject it. But at the very least, just acknowledge the fact that you need it. I mean, this, this guy, right, in the story, he's utterly helpless. I mean, the only thing that's never doubted in the story is how badly he needs someone to help him. And yet I, I somehow think that because both of my legs work, or, or that because I have the power to be able to fix most of my own problems most of the time, that I'm somehow in a different category. And I, I know, you might, you might not believe it, you might, you might choose to ignore it, but at least admit that you need it. And not just for your problems, but for your sin, guilt. You, you, you know it's there. If, if there is a God, and I realize, that's an if, if there is a God... Have you obeyed him or ignored him? And how will he forgive you? Which means leads to the second. We have to look into it. Don't ignore that sense of need. Whatever that looks like for you, or, or however however you feel it, don't don't ignore don't don't ignore that longing for meaning, for life to matter, to count for for something. Don't don't look the other way. I mean, the paralytic's friends, right? And I mean, it's, it's this story. It's a story of desperation, right? I mean, they're just, they don't know if it's going to work or not. They, they are just desperate. They want so badly for a better life for their friend that they're willing to do anything, even take a chance on this obscure rabbi. Maybe he's something special. What are you doing to look into it? Are you, are you a part of a community looking into these things together? I mean, in reality, is, human nature, we either seek these things together or we don't seek them at all, right? We always kind of, left to our own devices, we're always going off in the other direction, aren't we? We need one another. And I, I realize, for some of you, I mean, church is not, it's not your thing. And um, it can be boring. I understand. Some of you are like, that's the first thing I've agreed with uh, this whole sermon. Um, and I know you've got, other, you've got other things to do. But there's hope here. And where else in a world as broken as ours, where else are you going to find hope? We've got to look into it. No matter who you are, and I mean this, um, no matter who you are, what you believe, what you've done, we want you here with us. We want to be a safe place where you can ask hard questions, where you can raise concerns and, and struggle with doubt together, exploring who, who is he really And is he worth giving my life to? Look into it. And finally, finally give it a chance. I know it's not a very sexy way to end the Easter message. Um, Just try it. Try Jesus for a while. I mean, I I don't mean this to sound patronizing, but if you have a better option for meaning and joy and hope in your life, I'm all ears. Maybe it's try, time to try him for a while. Jesus always has something more in mind. And I, I can't help but think, like, how have this guy's life changed? Like, all the things that were different as a result of this encounter with Jesus. But none of the, none of the gospel writers tell us Ultimately their their biggest concern and, and Jesus' biggest concern, even in this story, it's it's not simply that he can say to this guy, get up from your mat and walk. It's that he himself would be able to get up out of the tomb and live, because then this story can become ours. Then his resurrection can become our resurrection. And he can say to us, friends, get up and walk. Your sins can be forgiven. Let's pray. Father, give us legs to walk to you, hearts to believe, and a community of people to seek you together. We are fallen, we are needy, but you have risen. So we thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you and we give our lives to you.